meeting people and hearing their stories is incredible. Diversity and inclusion can be touchy. It can be overcomplicated and sometimes very nuanced and hard to get to grips with. And that's everything we hope this podcast won't be. Welcome to the Digest from Diversely, where we take a frank, direct look at the stories of global allies, activists and advocates of DNI, understanding their journey and motivations to make the world a more diverse and inclusive place to be, as well as the ways in which they're currently doing just that. My name's Helen Maguire and I've been active in the DNI space for many years. I'm the co-founder of Diversely, which is a tech platform that helps businesses achieve better diversity. And I can't promise we'll get everything right or cover every angle on this podcast. But what I can promise is that we'll learn together ways to make better approaches to this sometimes tricky and deep topic. So let's get started. Lisa, hello. How are you and where are you right now? Hi, Helen. Um, I'm doing well. Um, I'm, I'm at the end of a long day, but doing well. And I'm joining you from Auckland in New Zealand. And I've been here two weeks today. <laughs> yeah, you've just, you just moved. So um, what, what prompted that? Um, I, think, I think like many people during COVID, you know, it makes you question what you want your life to be and, um, and where you want to live it. So there was a bit of that. I, I did have a um, a New Zealand fantasy during the hard lockdown in Singapore, where I've just moved from. Um, but it, but it was also, uh, you know, we moved here my hus- for my husband's role, and in the past we've always moved for my job. So felt really good for him to be able to move for his job. So yeah, so that's how we're here. We we like an adventure, and we usually don't say no to moving to a different country. So yeah. That's exciting. And um, tell me what you're going to be doing there. Um, obviously, we'll dig in a little bit further to your to your career and and everything that you've done in the DNI space. But um, what, what's kind of your first aim there? Yeah. Look, um, I've moved with my current role, so I'm, I'm the head of DNI at a company called Wally, who do engineering and project management. And um, it's been great because we have policies where you know if we have a business entity already set up in that country then um, usually you can get the okay to move so uh, so I've moved so I'm uh, leading DNI for Wally from New Zealand now so that's yeah. amazing and, and is it a <laughs> regional DNI role will you still stay kind of across Singapore uh, no um, I would I'm in a global role so I lead um, DNI for Wally globally, and when I when I first started in the role, I was the single person in the role for a pretty large business, and I've I've got a small team now, which is really nice. But um, yeah, so I lead the work globally, which means I get exposure to DNI issues across the world, um, and you know it's really interesting to see how they show up in in different countries. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And um, we'll definitely dig into that a little bit later in the podcast. But I wanted to start off, I guess, just by cycling back a little bit um, to, to where you began, because it's been quite a long road for you getting into DNI, as it has for, for many of us, I guess. Um, yeah. And you, you started life in Australia. I did. I did. Um, and, it, and if we want to go all the way back, I, I grew up on a dairy farm. Um, and lived on a dairy farm until I was 10 years old. And, and it's interesting how those really young experiences still 
form who you are today as an adult. And, you know, I think I really learned from that period about, you know, hard work and you have to get out of bed every day and do your job. And, um, and I think that served me really well in my career. Sometimes it hasn't, but most of the time it has. Um, um, and then, you know, my family moved to, I guess, more of a city and did high school in a city. Um, really didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, but I was, I guess, one of the first people in my family to go to university and get a degree. And so I kind of just picked one and ended up doing an applied science degree and then finished the degree. Still didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, but I was given an opportunity to manage um, a retail jewellery store and I, um, and I was offered a position in their management development program, which was pretty exciting. And so I thought in lieu of not knowing what I want to do, I accepted that um, that opportunity, which was great because I had firsthand management experience at a very young age. I had some, you know, I gained some business experience. So, you know, how do you run um, a retail store? How do you know what are your profitable um, products? What are your not profitable products? How do you manage rosters? Um, how do you manage staff? So all of those things um, I got experience in pretty early. Um, but it was through that time I met um, a woman who was the HR manager of that that retail store that I worked for. And I was like, oh, what's this, what's mm. this HR thing? And, you know, <laughs> I got really interested in, in how to, um, organizations manage people and how do organizations make um, good places to work and um, so that's kind of how I got started on the journey and then yeah. I went back to, to university and, and did a HR business degree and you know have worked mainly in multinationals since then which has been amazing. And I think when when we spoke before, um, we were talking a little bit about you know your upbringing and and the dairy farm and um, <laughs> and the fact that you'd worked in very male dominated um, backgrounds because yeah. I sometimes get asked you know why why do you why do you work in D and I you know you're a relatively uh, middle class white um, woman what have you got to offer uh, my point is yeah. Well, the woman right so uh so you know there's there's still a few issues there um yeah. for many people so how was that for you um because I know it was a very sort of male dominated environment you were in yeah um yes it's fair to say that nearly every business I've worked in has been very male dominated and they've been industrial type businesses so yeah. um and I, and I think I came to those businesses because I had this upbringing on a dairy farm where, you know, life, life on the land is very practical and, and very down to earth. So I kind of had that. And then my parents had a hardware store for many years while I was at high school and I worked in that hardware store. And so you're dealing with men all the time then because they're coming in and needing things. And, um, and so I just think I had that really practical grounding. Yeah. And so, you know, the roles that I've had, I think I've gotten the jobs often not because I was super experienced in HR, but because I bought this very practical kind of no crap kind of approach. Yeah. Um, yeah so. and, and did you feel... Uh, because, you know, my background is, is mostly male-dominated industries as well um, on, on the whole. Did you, do you think you honed some skills there in terms of communications, in terms of kind of rallying, um, in terms of, 
I suppose just trying not to feel separate. Mm. That is so interesting because I've I've had some very clear experiences where I've been trying to belong. Um, so I remember one uh, team that kind of I was part of, and I got invited to the strategy offside, and it was at a golf course. And so the activity that we did as a group, the you know twelve men and I uh, was to we worked with the the golf pro at the course and and did various activities and then you know afterwards we went to the 19th hole and and had beer and so I'm like well I'm gonna have beer because I want to belong I want to be part of this group I want to show them that you know that I can do what they can do like I don't like beer (laughs) like (laughs) like what was I doing I like wine um but that one stands out really clearly as I was clearly trying to be part of that and and I think your question around maybe the way we communicate and behave I think for a lot of my career I behaved in a way that I could get men to accept me um, and to build relationships with them so that I could get my work done and be effective but now I look back and I look at the younger women in the business I work in um, and you know they they don't want to do some of that stuff. And I look at what I've had to do throughout my career, and I, I don't mean anything untoward, but yeah. kind of covering and um, being part of things that you wouldn't normally do. And women don't want to do that now. Young women don't want to do that. And I so respect that. And I I sometimes think of some of the behaviours I've put up with. Like that was not on. But I kind of put up with them so I could get ahead. Um, and I think. And, and did, did you think mm. that then? You know, did you think, hang on a minute, there's something a bit a bit up here? And and as you say, like nothing necessarily untoward, but just, you know, I've I've certainly had similar experiences where you yeah. kind of like Yeah. Yeah. I think at the time definitely I've certainly had comments and thought, oh, like that wasn't right, or but you just often you're the only woman and there's no one around yeah. you and yeah. you you know, you want you want the job and you want to trying get to get ahead somewhere. Your... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's only more recently when I've had women in our business come to me and and talk to me about their challenges. And I'm like, I have experienced that and I put Mm. up with it and that Mm. was not right. And now we need to do something about it. So, yeah. And I I didn't, I never realised I was complicit in putting up with some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, yeah. right? <laughs> it, it, is, it is actually quite hard when when you look back on some of those things and the stuff that you accepted and brushed under the carpet, um, yeah. didn't want to make a fuss about, you know, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I, I'm now thinking <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, about, about all the things uh, in, in my past that, that might come under that umbrella. But yeah, I mean, you know, as, as you say, not something that you necessarily recognize in the same way that you would now for sure or looking back um Mm. and and you know you've done your you've done your degree you're doing your retail job you've gone back to university um to to study HR was that in Australia as well yes I yes I studied HR in Australia and I also did um then I did a master's in organizational organizational coaching so that was all in Australia yeah um but when when I was doing my master's, I was working for global companies. So I'd started yeah. to work for global companies and I was starting 
I guess, to get my eyes opened about, well, things need to be broader than Australia. Australia is a pretty small market in the whole scheme of things. And, you know, there's a lot more out there. So I kind of got the bug a bit then. Like (laughs) that first global company I worked for and I got to go to London and then I got to go to... um, to Belgium and go see this massive container terminal, which sounds really pathetic, but I loved it. And, you know, to go up in a key crane and have a tour <laughs> of the port, like I loved all that. And so, um, and I think this happens to a lot of Australians because Australia is pretty small where you kind of get your eyes open and then you want to go overseas and you want to yeah. do bigger things. And then, yeah. yeah. And, and when did Singapore come up? So Singapore was really interesting. So a couple of years before... I almost got an opportunity to go to China, to Shanghai, which I was really excited about, but it um, it kind of got pulled and didn't happen. And then um, I was working for a different business and it was an American distribution company and they'd made some acquisitions in the Australian market and they needed a HR director to uh, cover the Asia-Pacific region, but for the first 12 months at least to integrate some of the acquisitions And so I worked for them for um, maybe 12 months, maybe 18 months doing that work, which was really interesting, lots of really cool change management stuff. Um, And then um, the decision was made to close the Sydney office where I was working. And it was a very small office. It was just um, like a leftover from an acquisition and they wanted me to move to Perth. And... um, at the time, we, I had very small children. My husband and I were both working full-time and we kind of had everything around us set up in Sydney. Our families are not in Sydney. They were somewhere else. And so the thought of trying to create that in another part of Australia was like I just couldn't contemplate how we would manage it. Um, and so I'd, I'd said to my boss at the time, I don't, I don't think this is a good option and if we want to build out the APAC region, which was part of the strategy, mm-hmm. And you're going to put a leader in Singapore to lead the region. You know, I think you need to have your head of legal, your head of finance yeah. and your head of HR there. And they were like, put together a business plan. And I was like, oh, okay. So I put together a business plan, sent it off, didn't think anything of it. Um, and one of the group executive rang me and he was like, I love this idea, Lisa. I want you to move to Singapore. I think this is amazing. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I kind of created... I kind of created the experience. And so in six weeks, we'd sold the house, packed up. Wow, that's off fantastic. We, off we went to Singapore. And, went. and I mean, yeah. you, you, you glossed over this a little bit, but there, there was an extra challenge there, wasn't there, with, with your son, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, I have a son, Aiden. He's 12. Um, and when he was born, uh, we didn't know it at the time, but he was born with a condition called albinism. And there's different types of albinism. He has ocular cutaneous albinism, which means he doesn't have pigment in his skin, his hair, or his retina. So it means he's super pale. He gets sunburnt instantly in the sun. And you need pigment in your retina to be able to see well. So um, the biggest challenge or disability with people with albinism is um, vision. And it can range from low vision through to being legally blind. Um, So he, I think, you know, when he was born, um, you know, we didn't know if he could see or not. Like, because you don't know until they grow up a bit. Um, And I think 
you know, I always had this bent towards supporting women um, and helping women in their careers and in business. And then all of a sudden you have a child that's got a disability and you realise that the world's not built for people with disabilities. Like it's not yeah. inclusive. Like, yeah. um, you know, he sometimes misses things when you're walking down a pavement. If the, you know, if the pavement's got a bit of a crack and there's a bit that's higher, he might trip on it because he doesn't yeah. see it. Um, and that's just really simple things. So, you know, I think having having that challenge really informs the work you do. And I, you know, I really believe that organisations are, they're becoming our communities and they're becoming more important than governments in some ways. You know, employees are really advocating now to have organisations support social issues. And, you know, we, meet, we need to make them places that are inclusive for everyone, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but it was interesting when I, um, I might be going too far here, but when when I applied for the DNI role at Woolley, I thought I knew a lot about diversity mm. and inclusion because you know I knew about women. You know, I'd been you know at times not treated fairly. Yeah. Um, I knew I knew you know about some disabilities. Yeah. I'm like I'm set for this role. Yeah. No. Nah. <laughs> I, I feel like I literally knew nothing. Um which was great because it's great to learn, but I was just like, oh, yeah, it took me back a little bit. I've had to really be humble and, and learn a lot about all the other aspects of inclusion it's, and diversity. It, yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting because, like you say, nobody, um, you know, you've, you've let's say you've ticked a couple of the boxes there, but there's certainly a heck of a lot more that you, that you can tick. And, and no one's <laughs> going to tick the wall, right? I mean, you'd be a crazy person if you even no. tried. Um no. <laughs> so I, I think, yeah, I completely get your point. And and so what 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 spurred you, I suppose, to to apply for that role? Because you're doing your HR role, you're in Singapore. Yeah. You've already got a number of sort of challenges, I suppose, on that front, moving to a new country um, with your kids and everything else. And then yeah. you decide to step up in into D and I. Um what what was that like? Yeah, um it was interesting. I'd been working uh, for the company for a couple of years in an yeah. operational HR type role, and um, when I started with Wally, I I'd never worked for a company that had a dedicated DNI role. And so when I started and I met the woman who was doing the role, I'm like, how amazing is this? How amazing is this company that has a dedicated DNI role? Um, like, which is so a bit cool. ahead of its time. Yes. <laughs> I think um, I think a lot of Australia. This is my opinion only, but I think a lot of Australian businesses will, Australian listed businesses will have a DNI person because there are requirements to be yeah. listed on the Australian yeah. Stock Exchange. Yeah, um, exactly. And so I think I mean I don't know for sure. It's just my opinion, but I think a lot of Australian businesses will have someone doing that work because you do yeah. have to do some public reporting. Um, yeah, so I was like, oh, man, that role, that role is so cool. I'd love to do that role, but it would never come up because it's such a cool role, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't yeah. want to do that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, the lady doing the role, um, you know, uh, left the role and then I was like, well, I I'm going to do that. I want that role. That's my role. And applied and was successful. And um, I think... I think what's interesting about DNI roles, and I think most DNI leaders that I have spoken to, 
I think there's kind of the nirvana of, of what you think it's going to be mm. and then um, there's the reality. So I think the typical nirvana is I'm going to get to help people, I'm going to, we're going to have more women in the business, we're going to make it more inclusive, um, it's going to be a great place to work because of, of what I've done. Yeah. Um, but, but the reality is, you know, large organisations have multiple priorities, um, multiple things to get done. Um, you know, the DNI work is hard and it's, I, I think it's less important. I think you still need to have a personal value around DNI, but I think it's sometimes less important and the pieces that are more important are being able to navigate the organisation, being able to right. influence leaders, being able to work with the different functions where you can bring more diverse candidates in. So being able to work with talent acquisition um, and talent de development and um, talent uh, identification functions and, uh, you know, work with the REM team who might be working on gender pay gap, you know, mm. work. So that piece is really important. So is communication. And, you know, there's all these other organisational skills you need. The value is, around DNI is important, but I think you need Yeah, and, and, and is that where you felt you had to step up or did you also feel that you needed to step up from a, just a learning perspective around belonging and inclusion and, and diversity? Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel like I've needed to step up more on that side because right. I kind of did that whole... Oh, there's lots I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I knew some of the organisational piece. Right. So I, yep. I'd worked in change management. Yeah. Um, I'd worked in generalist HR roles. So I knew how to kind of work with other functions in the organisation. Not saying I'm an expert in that at all. And the organisation I'm in now is the biggest I've ever worked in. So that's, um, that's a challenge in itself. But I certainly had to learn the the content piece. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot more now than I used to, but I feel like you can't know enough. I think that's it. Every every mm. single person I've spoken to in this space, or, or even kind of CEOs that are leading strategies on this stuff, um, or across this stuff, um, it, it's a journey. There's no kind of end point to it. You're always pulling in new experiences, new references, new elements yeah. of diversity, almost that surface. Um, yeah. that's not spoken about before and I think yeah. you know I don't know about you but I, I would definitely say that's the case in the last couple of years certainly yeah I think in the last couple of years we've really been challenged to think about things more broadly yeah. I think for a long time it was just gender and when I say gender it's male female we, we exactly. certainly weren't talking about transgender or non-binary no. people um, and now because a black man was killed in the US, we're now talking much more broadly about race and ethnicity. We're talking about the LGBTI community. We're talking about disability. And I think, you know, that's all been um, a really good thing off the back of something that was very awful. Yeah, I think the last couple of years have been pretty transformative <laughs> on many, yeah. on many, uh, many yeah. aspects haven't they and, and certainly the lens has just sort of widened um, across many aspects of DNI. but do you feel that that has made your job easier or harder um it's a bit I think it's a bit of both I think um it's easier because 
we have more resources, um, there's more support from leaders, you know, all of that's easier. Um, in some ways it's harder because the expectations are like, well, we want it done now. Like, and, and not only do we want it done now, we want everything done at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and like, that's a really good problem. Um, but I often think, you know, when I, my, my first global job was for the container terminal company and I got to go to London and, you know, Belgium, and that was really cool. Uh, but that company I worked for, we, we killed a person a month. So a person a month was killed on one of our sites, which was appalling, like wow. literally once a month, um, and different parts of the world. But now, so that was 20 years ago. Now that business, there's no way they would have that level of fatalities and, and the corresponding accidents that would go with it. Yeah. Like there's no way. There's no industry now really that's kind of in heavy industrial that that would have that level of fatalities. But it's been a 20-year change. And so the challenge, I think, in organisations is we've got people going, well, well, let's just fix it. It's like, well, this, this is a really long-term cultural um, change. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, and that safety journey took 20 years and there were all these different things you had to do to make that happen. It wasn't just yeah. one thing. You know, there was a whole range of things that organisations did to make a difference. So um, that's, that's a really that's interesting the point as well from a sort of socioeconomic mm. perspective, isn't it? Um, you know, yeah. I'm pretty sure that the people that were dying on a monthly basis were not the, the C-suite or the board members or even kind of management or director level. No, um, they weren't. They were the people some doing of those work. People, some of those people ended up in jail. Um, wow. Yeah, and I think... I don't think we'll end up at that same level because often diversity and inclusion issues don't kill, well, they can kill people actually. Um, but that was an example of there were all yeah. these different things. Yeah, Legislation exactly. around manslaughter yeah. in the workplace was one of them. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, you touched on earlier um, about the legislation, particularly in Australia. I mean, we do work with, with some businesses in, in Australia and really mm -hmm. particularly for that point, you know, it's around the reporting and the stringent measures that they have. Um, and particularly now, because of the pandemic, the lack of talent that they have in Australia because of the lack of immigration and mm. so on. Yeah. And obviously tapping into um, their, um, their, all the communities there as opposed to just kind of the white community, let's say. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's a very interesting perspective because there is this sort of DNI maturity level um, across the world and Australia in some ways is, is quite progressive on that front yeah in some ways <laughs> I think, <laughs> no I think what you're talking about definitely I think we've got government agencies who are driving you know the gender pay gap reporting and um, yeah some of the other work the you know research into sexual harassment in the workplace you know there's a whole number of, of government agencies doing that work um, but I think I think sometimes day to day, there's still cultural challenges around yeah. DNI. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of. I agree with you. Australia is more progressive, and I think in the region, mm. uh, probably one of the more progressive countries. Um, but probably a little bit like the US. I think the US is very progressive as well, but still has massive structural yeah. Yeah. Um, discrimination bias issues. issues. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, whether top-down, bottom-up, all of that stuff as well. But 
Um, I, I want to kind of bring us up to date a little bit to, to the current day. So, you're sure. now, you know, as as you say, head of DNI at Worley globally, which is an incredible achievement in itself. Um, but you also have a few other things going on. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Some days I feel like I'm a little insane. So, um, I do have a podcast called A Dog Called Diversity, which. Um, you know, when you were talking about how do you learn all the aspects yeah. of diversity and inclusion, and, and I started it not long after I started in my DNI role, and that was really just to talk to people and hear their stories um, of being different to the majority in the world. And it's been an amazing experience. It's kind of if, even if people don't listen, I meeting people and hearing their stories is incredible. Um, but I also started um, something called the Culture Ministry and that was really about just recognising that, um, you know, when you look, you know, often the problem, when you're trying to solve a problem, it's sometimes not in your industry or in your area of expertise and you can look to other industries or other areas to solve problems. And I, I think the story about safety and how safety cultures have evolved um, I think is a really strong indication of how DNI can progress and how you have to do a number of things to make it happen. And um, I think there's real, real power in bringing together people who work in this space and and talk about, well, you know, what's working for you in your organisation? Um, is it having, uh, is video interviewing, is that helping with biases in recruitment? Yeah. Um, is having uh, targets, for leadership bonuses, is that working? Um, is running sponsorship programs for women and underrepresented people working? So being able to share the best practice and also being able to share the stuff that's not working. Um, yeah. You know, I think, you know, we run, you know, events like we've just had International Women's Day. Often events are a great way for us to feel good about things and to learn from others. Does it make the difference? We're not mm. sure. And so the, the culture ministry is really about, well, how do we bring more DNI people together to kind of share and learn from each other? Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping in the future I want to work with, you know, there's, I think as a profession, DNI, particularly in the APAC region, but other parts of the world, it is more of an emerging profession. Yeah. I, I can't say that, you know, when I joined Wally four years ago, I don't think I'd ever heard of having that role in a business. Yeah. Um, but now there's organisations scrambling to find people to do these roles. So, um, but there's no development. So, how do you pe teach people the the domain knowledge? You know, <laughs> the you know the, all the terms and all the experiences and all the different types. But then, how do you also teach them the organisational navigation, the you know, the communication skills, the influencing skills, the strategy skills, the you know. All of that stuff, um, and I think there's a big a big gap. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean I I always say with with diversity we're creating an industry, not just a business. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's you know uh, you know I suppose particularly talking on, on the tech side where DNI is concerned, but still from a, just from a, as you say from a domain perspective. I mean when I first started in this space, 
wasn't really called DNI. I was just, you know, working on helping women get into, you know, yeah. roles and so on. And there wasn't really a, a, an industry around it particularly. Um, I wasn't working with heads of DNI at, at Mastercard. No. That, that, those people did not exist, as far as I was aware. No, no. it's really <laughs> emerging. It's really emerging, and there's some companies, um, like. I think those kind of leading tech companies like Google and Facebook who now have very large teams and are doing lots of really great research in the space and probably, I think, leading the way. And what if there's one thing, I mean, you know, from an organisational perspective, having had the experience that you you have and, and, you know, learned from from so many other people's experiences as well, is there there kind of one thing that stands out for you that, that really makes a difference or that if someone's starting out in this industry and, you know, wanted to just get going? Is there one thing yeah. that stands out? Uh, that's a good question. I think um, I think just doing a couple of, like starting small and just doing a couple of things, which is really hard because everyone mm. wants you, you know, yeah, they like, want you to have, yeah. have all the stuff. But, yeah. you know, if you just said, you know, if you looked at your business and said, okay, what are the issues for our business? Is it women? Is it ethnicity? Is it, you know, whatever it is? And then mm. what are the issues in this market? You know, what are, as a business, are we representing the community? Yeah. Um, what should we be doing differently? And like, just doing two things. Like, honestly, because we do too many things and then, you just you can't achieve everything at once like it's just insane and and also how do you know whether it's having an impact if you're kind of changing yeah. too many factors you know it's almost scientific isn't it um, yeah. change one thing measure change one thing measure yeah and I think do do the feel-good stuff like I think you know some of the events that that companies run and that employee resource groups run they're, they're great they have a place they're social yeah. um some of them can, you know, are more effective because of how they run. But you have to be doing some stuff that genuinely makes a difference um, and that you can measure and show progress. Um, and, you know, there are definitely uh, there's evidence-based research that can, that can point in that direction. And, yeah. you know, it could be things like sponsorship programs or, um, yeah, yeah Return to work. There's, I mean, there's lots of stuff that works. They just need lots of energy and resources, but you can't do them all. So pick one. Pick whatever is the most important for your business in your market and for what your business wants to achieve, I think. Yeah, yeah. And make sure that you measure it. Make sure that you have some data and some accountability around it as well, I think. Um, yeah. You know, as you say, you see that too often with uh, with events and, and things like that where it's, okay, great, but now what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We go away. We've had a nice morning tea. Yeah, <laughs> we've we've maybe posed for some photos. <laughs> I know, been been there, done that. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, well, look, Lisa, thank you so much. I think you know we could chat forever about this because you have so many different areas of. of- <laughs> experience both personal career um, development in terms of um, you know everything that you're doing uh, on the side in inverted commas as well Um, but you know huge congratulations on the journey and um, I I really can't wait to see where, where you go from here to be honest 
Oh, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you and I I really admire the work you're doing in this space and um, you, you're creating so much momentum and, and interest. Um, I think it's super exciting. Thanks, Lisa. I really appreciate it and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>